welcome to the Empowered Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Tudor, Certified Lifestyle Medicine Practitioner. My aim is to help everyday people understand science, not the science, and to use that understanding to make better choices for their health and well-being. Each episode, I'll be bringing my latest Substack post to you in audio form. For the full visual experience, including graphs, charts, images, and videos, view the accompanying post in my Empowered Substack. And now, let's dive in. Episode 63, I Informed You Thusly, Part 2. In last week's podcast episode, I told you that masks don't work to prevent viral respiratory illness. Not for source control, not for infection protection, not when worn in a healthcare setting by properly trained professionals. They just don't work. Previously, I told you that influenza vaccines don't prevent infection with or transmission of influenza virus in two articles which I've linked to in the post accompanying this podcast episode. I also told you that COVID-19 so-called vaccines don't prevent infection with or transmission of SARS-CoV-2 in four articles, which again I've linked to in the post accompanying this podcast episode, and I explained why in a fifth post also linked. In a nutshell, All the injected flu vaccines and all the COVID-19 so-called vaccines currently on the market induce production of antibodies that travel in the blood, immunoglobulin G or IgG, and circulating immunoglobulin A, IgA, that SARS-CoV-2 replicates in the mucous membranes that line our airways, known as the respiratory mucosa, and not in the blood. The type of antibody that is required to stop this respiratory mucosal replication is secretory IgA, or SIGA. None of the COVID-19 so-called vaccines induce production of secretory IgA, and neither IgG nor circulating IgA can reach the respiratory mucosa. In the post accompanying this podcast episode, you'll see an illustration of secretory IgA production and activity that I included in my previous post called Why COVID-19 Vaccines Will Never End the Pandemic, which was published on the 20th of December 2021. I really do encourage you to whiz over and take a look at that diagram in the post accompanying this podcast episode. But now, a trio of crack scientists, including the recently retired former head of the U.S. National Institutes of Infectious and Allergic Disease and Grand Chief Poobar of Pandemia, Anthony S. Fauci, has published an article admitting that vaccines which only induce systemic antibodies, that is antibodies traveling in the bloodstream, are next to useless against respiratory viruses that replicate in respiratory mucosa rather than causing systemic infection. Seriously, you can't make this stuff up. Here's what the mendacious midget who fully supported the sacking and social exclusion of anyone who declined the experimental COVID-19 transfection agents and who was forcefully pushed for mandatory influenza vaccination in healthcare workers had to say about how poorly these agents work and why. First, flu vaccines don't really work. Quote, Until the emergence of COVID-19, influenza had for many decades been the deadliest vaccine-preventable viral respiratory disease, one for which only less than suboptimal vaccines are available. Over the years, influenza vaccines have never been able to elicit durable protective immunity against seasonal influenza virus strains, even against non-drifted strains. Although current influenza vaccines reduce the risk of severe disease, hospitalisation and death to some degree, by the way, my note, they don't, as I explained in my previous article, Flu Vaccination and Faith-Based Medicine, which also features a choice quote from Tom Jefferson, whom I cited in last week's podcast episode, on the rubbish quality of flu vaccine clinical trials. 
but back to Fauci and friends. Their effectiveness, that is the effectiveness of flu vaccines, against clinically apparent infection is decidedly suboptimal, ranging from 14% to 60% over the past 15 influenza seasons. Furthermore, the duration of vaccine-elicited immunity is measured only in months. And then, a little bit later on in the article, as of 2022, after more than 60 years of experience with influenza vaccines, very little improvement in vaccine prevention of infection has been noted. As pointed out decades ago, and still true today, the rates of effectiveness of our best-approved influenza vaccines would be inadequate for licensure for most other vaccine-preventable diseases, end of quote. And that quote was from the article, co-authored by Tony Fauci, called Rethinking Next Generation Vaccines for Coronaviruses, Influenza Viruses and Other Respiratory Viruses. Now just let that sink in. In many jurisdictions, certain occupations, including healthcare, aged care and disability care workers, are subject to mandatory flu vaccination. In Australia, some nursing homes won't let you visit your elderly relative if you don't produce proof that you've had a flu vaccine in the current flu season. But these jabs are so ineffective that they wouldn't pass licensure requirements if they weren't grandfathered by decades-old approval processes. Next, COVID so-called vaccines don't work either. Quote, as variant SARS-CoV-2 strains have emerged, deficiencies in these vaccines, that is COVID-19 vaccines, reminiscent of influenza vaccines, have become apparent. The vaccines for these two very different viruses have common characteristics. They elicit incomplete and short-lived protection against evolving virus variants that escape population immunity. Considering that vaccine development and licensure is a long and complex process requiring years of preclinical and clinical safety and efficacy data, the limitations of influenza and SARS-CoV-2 vaccines remind us that candidate vaccines for most other respiratory viruses have, to date, been insufficiently protective for consideration of licensure, including candidate vaccines against RSV, a major killer of infants and the elderly, para-influenza viruses, endemic coronaviruses, and many other common cold viruses that cause significant morbidity and economic loss, end of quote. Is this the same Anthony Fauci who, in a panel discussion at the Milken Institute in 2019, appeared to be bemoaning the fact that the clinical trial process for flu vaccine development takes so long and calling for a disruptive way of addressing this problem? Why don't we blow the system up? I mean, obviously, we can't just turn off the spigot on the system we have and then say, hey, everyone in the world should get this new vaccine we haven't given to anyone yet. But there must be some way that we grow vaccines mostly in eggs the way we did in 1947. In order to make the transition from getting out of the tried and true egg growing, which we know gives us results that can be you know, beneficial. I mean, we've done well with that, to something that has to be much better. Uh, you have to prove that this works, and then you've got to go through all of the clinical trials, phase ones, phase twos, phase three, and then show that this particular product is going to be good over a period of years. That alone, if it works perfectly, is going to take a decade. There might be a need or even an urgent call for uh, an entity Right. of excitement out there that's completely disruptive, that's not beholden to bureaucratic strings and, and, and processes. So we really do have a problem of how the world perceives influenza, and it's going to be very difficult to change that 
unless you do it from within and say, I don't care what your perception is, we're going to address the problem in a disruptive way and in an iterative way, because you do need both. Does anyone know what Teflon Tony actually believes? Side note, construction of an mRNA vaccine manufacturing facility is already underway on the grounds of Monash University in Melbourne. And what do they plan to manufacture there? Quote, COVID-19 booster shots, as well as mRNA vaccines for other respiratory viruses, such as influenza and respiratory syncytial virus, or RSV, end of quote. Your taxpayer dollars hard at work again. And another mRNA vaccine hub is being created in Brisbane. Back to the article. Next, Fauci and his co-authors explain why vaccines against flu, COVID-19, RSV and other viruses associated with colds and flu are so wretchedly ineffective. The viruses involved in diseases like measles, mumps and chickenpox are transmitted by the respiratory route, but after an initial period of rapidly accelerating replication in the respiratory tract, which roughly correlates to their incubation period, they make their way into the bloodstream and proceed to replicate there at a spectacular rate, resulting in significant viremia, that is the presence of infectious viral particles in the blood. These viral particles come in contact with many different cell types in multiple compartments of the immune system, resulting in a multifaceted immune response that usually confers lifelong immunity. But cold and flu viruses are different. Quote, in stark contrast, the non-systemic respiratory viruses such as influenza viruses, SARS-CoV-2 and RSV tend to have significantly shorter incubation periods and rapid courses of viral replication. They replicate predominantly in local mucosal tissue without causing viremia and do not significantly encounter the systemic immune system or the full force of adaptive immune responses, which take at least five to seven days to mature, usually well after the peak of viral replication and onward transmission to others. SARS-CoV-2 RNAemia, that is circulation of viral RNA in the bloodstream, as is seen with most mucosal respiratory virus infections, as distinct from viremia, in which infectious viruses can be cultured from the blood, has been reported, and RT-PCR levels of viral RNA have been linked to severe disease, similar to studies of influenza RNAemia. As a result, the non-systemically replicating respiratory viruses, apparently including SARS-CoV-2, tend to repeatedly reinfect people over their lifetimes without ever eliciting complete and durable protection. End of quote. In addition, both influenza and SARS-CoV-2 mutate too rapidly for any vaccine to effectively control their spread. Quote, rapid antigenic drift affects the control of annual influenza epidemics and complicates the effort to produce broadly protective universal influenza vaccines. The SARS-CoV-2 spike protein has shown a similar plasticity with the emergence of multiple variants with altered antigenicity that has complicated its control through current vaccination strategies. End of quote. But wait, it gets even better. Quote, taking all of these factors into account, it is not surprising that none of the predominantly mucosal respiratory viruses have ever been effectively controlled by vaccines. End of quote. Yes, the people who accused you of being a granny murderer supported mandates that took away your livelihood and edged on your exclusion from society if you didn't accept the experimental transfection agent and now saying, well, of course it doesn't really work, dummies. Smart scientists like us never thought it would. Of course, the main thrust of the article is to call for the development of new, improved vaccines that, wait for it, mimic the body's own processes of developing mucosal immunity. 
Fauci and friends discuss the development of mucosal immunity and the fact that none of the processes induced by vaccination are involved in it at some length. Quote, many studies in humans and experimental animals, some before secretory IgA had been recognised, indicate that secretory mucosal immunity is generally more effective than systemic immunity in controlling mucosal respiratory viruses, and that tissue resident memory T cells can be effective in rapidly responding to mucosal infection. Nasal secretory IgA is the best correlate of protection in RSV challenge studies, even in the absence of systemic IgA-producing B cells. Similar results are seen with other viruses, including SARS-CoV-2. Although non-systemically replicating mucosal viruses elicit systemic effectors, including systemic IgA-producing plasma cells, and in some cases, high levels of serum IgA and IgG, neither circulating antibodies, plasma blasts, nor systemic B or T or T effector cells function optimally at mucosal sites. This is due in part to the dilution of transmuted antibody and the fact that many such effector cells lack trafficking signals to these sites, end of quote. In other words, the natural response to respiratory viruses that infect mucous membranes is to pour out secretory IgA to stop the virus from replicating. The elements of the immune system that live in the circulatory system, including B cells, T cells and blood-borne antibodies, don't make it through to the mucous membranes, exactly as I explained in my previous article, Why COVID-19 Vaccines Will Never End the Pandemic, 14 freaking months ago. After some discussion of the inherent difficulty of developing a vaccine that induces both mucosal immunity, which is necessary for preventing infection with and transmission of respiratory viruses, and immunity within the lung, which is necessary for preventing serious illness, and an admission that flu vaccines are failures at both, quote, current influenza vaccines are suboptimal at both preventing infection and eliciting pulmonary immunity, end of quote, Fauci and friends drop some good news for Big Pharma. Quote, the implications for vaccinology are clear, preventing viral upper respiratory infection and limiting post-infection viral spread to contiguous respiratory compartments are both critical, but may not be easily achieved with single vaccines, end of quote. If one vaccine won't do the trick, why not try two? What a bonanza for vaccine manufacturers. Will someone give Tiny Tony a seat on the board of Pfizer-Zeneca, please? He's a marketing genius. But then comes the bombshell. After all of this hoo-ha about developing new U-Butte vaccines that stimulate natural immunity, Fauci and friends admit that they have no freaking idea how to tell whether any such vaccines are effective or not, because they don't fully understand how natural immunity against respiratory viruses works, and vaccine-induced immunity simply doesn't work the same way. Quote, immune correlates of protection against mucosal respiratory viruses are incompletely understood, vary between viral strains and subtypes, with viral drift, and they exhibit inter-individual variation. In developing next-generation vaccines, we will need to identify strong immunologic correlates of protection against each mucosal respiratory virus and agree about their relevance to public health vaccination goals. Additional immune correlate studies in humans are clearly needed and should be a research priority. Following influenza infection in humans, studies have long identified serum and mucosal immunoglobulin correlates and T-cell immune correlates. In contrast, a human influenza challenge study after vaccination with inactivated vaccines or live attenuated influenza vaccine, followed by live attenuated influenza vaccine challenge, was unable to find any immunologic correlates of protection. 
End of quote. So, yeah, those flu vaccines they've been pumping into everyone for decades, well, nobody really knows what the heck they're doing. But send more money for research. They promise to use it wisely rather than, I don't know, funnel it to a lab controlled by the Chinese military to soup up bat viruses so they can infect humans? Honestly. In even more good news for vaccine manufacturers, the next generation vaccines of Fauci's fever dream, quote, may need optimised formulations, higher vaccine doses, greater frequency of vaccine administration, and overcoming immune tolerance challenges, end of quote. More vaccines, more often, at higher doses, with more adjuvants. Yay for big pharma. If you've listened up to this point and managed not to either vomit or become apoplectic with rage, congratulations. But what I'm about to tell you might just tip you over the edge. You see, we already know how to raise secretory IgA production. That's right, you don't need a fancy schmancy vaccine to bump up your secretory IgA. You just need to make sure that, number one, you have optimal vitamin D status, preferably through sensible sun exposure, but you can top up with a vitamin D supplement if you live in a high latitude region. Number two, your intake of vitamin A or its carotenoid precursors found in yellow, orange and red vegetables and fruits is adequate. Number three, you have a high dietary intake of polyphenols, which are contained in fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, nuts and seeds, especially those grown without nitrogen fertilizer. And number four, you're proactively managing stress. But I guess none of those things make any money for Teflon Tony and his mates, do they? Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and on your socials and make sure you subscribe to my Empowered Substack so you never miss a post.